Will Percaccio. Hi, this is Brian Azzarelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Nadia DeColibus. And Christina Ware. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. Hi, this is Kevin Van Duffy here. This is the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 29. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. And we are bringing the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as the reviews of comics that came out in the past two weeks. Not very many to cover, but we do have four comics to go over. Um, We also are going to have a small discussion about our predictions of when Batman will return. We did this for Batgirl, and we predicted correctly who Batgirl was going to be, despite the throngs of people online saying it was going to be Barbara Gordon. So we figured, why not try our luck and uh, predict when Bruce Wayne's going to be returning to the Bat Books. So we're going to have a discussion about that, Bat Books for Beginners, your upcoming releases for the next two weeks. So, let's just get into it. first thing we have is on September 22nd, the solicitations for December were released of all the new comics, and there is a decent amount, um, nothing really out of the ordinary that we weren't expecting, except for just a couple things. December generally is a huge trade paperback month because it's Christmas season, and they didn't disappoint. Um, The entire month of December is filled with tons and tons of trade paperbacks. Uh, One the first week, two the second week, uh, one the third week, and the fourth week has one as well. And I take that back, the third week actually has two. So, plenty of trade paperbacks coming out. Also, the last issue of Arkham Reborn is coming out. We have the Simon Dark trade paperback collecting the last issues of Simon Dark. Um, There's an 80-page special coming also for Batman, so that'll be a little bit interesting stuff coming in December. Sweet! I I collect the trade paperbacks. I know not a lot of people do, but I collect them. I Actually, I collect them from uh, the comic book conventions because they're usually half off. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only way you should really buy a trade paperback. I'm very excited that DC is going to be releasing the trade paperback for Batman the Cat and the Bat, which collects the legendary first meeting of Batgirl and Catwoman from Confidential 17 through 21. I'm finally going to be able to, <laughs> to read that story. I always wondered how they first met. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So also on September 22nd, we had another bit of information that came out about um, the future of Batman and Robin. Now, in the last podcast, we specifically talked about Cameron Stewart taking over art duties for Batman and Robin after Philip Tan is done um, with issue number six. Now, we we left everyone with the question of well, what happened to Fraser Irving. Um, it was mentioned numerous times before that he was going to be taking over for Philip Tan, that Grant Morrison wanted to work with Fraser Irving, and then he just disappeared. So, personally, it caught the announcement of Stewart taking over by... It took me by surprise. Well, 
What happened to Fraser Irving? Well, Cumbuck Resources also wondered and emailed Irving to find out what was going on. And he actually confirmed to them through email that he will in fact be on the book for issues number 10 through 12. Um, my guess is that things may have been changed around due to the announcement that Batman Robin is no longer a maxi-series and only going to be 12 issues. So that could have been the change as Frank Quietly was said to do the first three issues and the last three issues. So the fact that it's not going to be cut off after issue 12 means that there's another room for another artist and that would be Fraser Irving. He did have um, a little bit of a comment that I'm going to read through real quick that he said, and it said, basically I have no idea what to expect, but I know that Grant will make it good and juicy stuff for me to get my art fangs stuck into, said Irving. I, also, I think Grant writes to the artist's strengths as he sees them, so with any luck it'll be more monsters and freaky looking stuff as opposed to horses and people in kitchens talking. <laughs> Please, please do not let this turn into vampires and werewolves. Oh, please don't. <laughs> Dog, talk about an awful book. So, Fraser Irving, even though we thought he was going to be doing issues 7 through 9, he's going to be doing 10 through 12. Nice. It's. I think it's because of the strong sales of the book. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think... I mean, I don't know how many times Dan DiDio's going to get caught and saying things that end up turning completely around, and then he can just be easily called a liar, but... Liar! Yeah. <laughs> At some point, we'll actually tell you why we shot liar in the background. Some of you may have caught on. If so, leave your comments on the forums to share with the other people of why we're calling that out. <laughs> Alright, anyway, moving right along, on September 23rd, it was officially announced, something that Apple and I learned back at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, when we talked to Dustin Wen uh, at San Diego, he specifically told us that his little Gotham characters were finally going to be in the comics. Um, he didn't tell us a whole lot of information other than we couldn't say anything until it was officially announced. Um, but we also did an interview with him almost immediately after they announced it. Um, talking about the characters, and if you're listening to the podcast, you can actually hear the interview on the website, because we already have it posted up for you to listen about his little Gotham characters. But they're going to be featured in both the Batman and Detective Comic Annuals, which one of them will already be out by the time you listen to this, but the Detective Comics Annual will be coming out the following week. So Little Gotham will be in comics, and hopefully, as we talk to Dustin Wen. Uh, the success of them being in the annuals and fans' responses will actually prompt DC to turn this into a real series. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so excited. If fans haven't seen this, please go out to our website. Look at the pictures that Dustin Wynn has done for Little Gotham. It, it is very hard not to love these characters, the way they're drawn. And the fact that they're creating a own little world, hopefully we can you know, prompt this and propel this into a issue one for Dustin because I, I just think it's great. I mean, if, if you love the whole like uh the 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 small look, I mean, they're not they're not babies. They're they're actually an adult take, but they're just mini size and they look so freaking cool. I can't wait. I want I want I want I hope it comes out as a monthly book. Yeah, I was just listening in my car to the interview that uh you and Apple did with Dustin uh about it. And it's it sounds pretty exciting. I I like those little you know one off stories and stuff like that. I like how he was talking about he was 
DC was afraid that if they put it in the feature with the other books, fans might get confused. Is it in continuity or not in continuity? But you can tell that he loves the characters and that he's been sitting on this for a while. Because even before this was announced, those uh, mini Gotham pictures have been floating around websites, making the rounds for a while. I even remember uh, one of the first podcasts I ever did with you guys, one of our side discussions that wasn't recorded was actually about uh, trying to identify some of the lesser known characters in the picture, we weren't sure who the girl on Clayface was. It, I think it was Annie, though. Remember, the girl I told you the Amy. Series, yeah, yeah. Remember, yeah. I told you it was Amy from the animated series. Uh, yeah, which a- anytime you see that picture posted on any message board, that's always the first question that somebody says is, "I recognize everyone, but who's the little girl on Clayface?" But that's, <laughs> yeah. that's to go back to the cartoons to see that. He's pulling. He's pulling from all the incarnations. Uh, didn't like what he had to say about Batgirl, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving along, MTV posted an interview that they did with Kevin Smith, and in the interview he actually revealed the new character that is going to appear in the Widening Gear. So we're going to play that clip for you right now. Issue 2, and that's where you finally meet the, our, our character, the character that me and Walter Flanagan came up with. His name is Baphomet, um, which I don't even think you learn that until Issue 3, his name, but... Um, but he, this is issue two is where you get to see more of him than we saw. Issue one, he just appears like in the last two pages, very distantly. Issue two, or issue two of Batman, he kind of uh, engages with Batman a bit more. Issue three, I think, is where they have their first conversation. Uh, so you see a bit more of the new guy in issue two, and it sets up more where the story's going. And the story, it's not, I mean, I, I, I hate when I talk about it, people go, wow, that sounds f***ing stupid. But I like it. It's a story about... Um, Bruce Wayne hitting that age where he's just like, okay, everyone I ever trained in the war on crime is doing it if they're alive or if they've come back from the dead. (laughs) But they also have lives. Like, they also go about and have personal lives, and and I do not have one. Um, And uh, through circumstances, suddenly he's faced with um, the possibility that he can kind of have the perfect life of, like, love and happiness and still being Batman, like split right down the middle, and he tries it on, and that's kind of what it's about, and that's why this new vigilante is coming along at a time in his life where he feels like, well, maybe I can just, he doesn't want to quit, it's not like Batman forever, he's like, I'm done being Batman, he's he's always going to be Batman, but he's just like, why can't I scale back, you know, Dick has a girlfriend, why can't I have a girl, I up, but why can't I be in, involved with somebody, or why can't I just have a life that's not like, during the day, why must it be sleep and still thinking about, you know, I can I can compartmentalize. That's what the, the miniseries is about. It's about Bruce learning to compartmentalize. Alright, so that's the interview. So we know the new character, even though he's not actually in the book yet. Uh, they did make uh, a mention of him in number two, issue number two, but he will actually appear in issue number three, which comes out later this month. Yeah, just, uh, it was pretty nice, but it, I mean, it's MTV, so... <laughs> I'm just proud of MTV for doing an interview that doesn't involve, so, Batman 3, what's going on with that? (laughs) It's because it was a different interviewer, that's why. All right, so moving right along, October 2nd, J.H. Williams talked about Detective Comics over at Newsrama, and there's just one question we're going to cover, because most of it's uh, a lot of rehashed things that they've talked about numerous times before, but we're going to read one question for you. You and Greg introduced a new villain named Alice recently. What were the conversations like between you and Greg when you were building up what she'd be? 
We just wanted to make her presence extremely memorable and just as iconic as Batwoman herself. It was clear that she was a villain and was psychologically screwed up, but it was clear to us that she couldn't be just another insane villain. There are plenty of those running around Gotham already. She had to have a real sense of purpose. It's difficult for me to talk about her in any real detail without giving away things too soon. Let's just say she plays a very important role and leave it at that. And if you read the latest issue of Detective Comics, you kind of already know what the role she's going to be playing is. Ba-da-da. Da. She looks pretty cool, though. I think that she's one of the more well-received uh, new characters in the Batman Reborn universe. I would say that, too. She's, she, she looks like she could be very promising to play with. It'll be interesting to see. Um, we'll cover more about what uh, role she's going to be playing in Detective Comics later on in the review for that issue. So let's move right along to the last bit of news. October 3rd, it was announced at Long Beach Comic Con that there is going to be a new creative team taking over Outsiders. Now, who could that team be? Somebody you probably would not guess. Uh, Dan DiDio will be actually writing Detective Outsiders and Philip Tan will be doing the art starting in January for Outsiders. Um, yeah, Didio will be writing and taking over for Peter Tomasi, and Philip Tan will be replacing Fernando Pissarin, um on issue number 26. So there was a couple of interviews that were obviously posted or obviously conducted a little ahead of the time, and as soon as it was announced, Newsarama posted up the interviews, both with Dan DiDio and Philip Tan, and there's a couple things, and we're actually going to cover all of this, because it's kind of interesting how it happened, um, so let's read over the questions that Dan DiDio had first. Dan, how did the decision to write Outsiders happen? Has this been in the works for a while now? We've been talking about this for a while. I've been looking for an opportunity to do more writing. I've said before that I've got a little bit of a writing bug back when I was working on the Metal Men material. Paul Levitz and I, before all the changes took place with DC, Paul and I were discussing this, and Paul gave me the thumbs up to work on one of the books. I just had to figure out what it would be, and this... And when this assignment was opening up, I was very interested in it. I don't want to take anything away from what Pete and everybody are doing on the book, but Pete's schedule was changing, and so there was an opening on The Outsiders. And this has been a group of characters that I've always loved. I basically had every issue of the Out- Batman and The Outsiders from back in the day, but it didn't really come together until the point when Philip said he was going to be the artist on it. And then, it just seemed to take off because there's a level of excitement and enthusiasm that Phil brings to everything he works on that is infectious. And the, and the more excited he got, the more I wanted to do it. Phil and I have been talking about it for a while, We're working through the characters that are a part of the story. We're bringing up some new characters into the mix. For me, it's a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting to be a part of things from, the side, from this side of the bench. You mentioned new characters. Is there going to be a big change when you take over? No, that's one of the things that I hope we all get over. Putting on the executive editor hat for a second, we're trying to get away from the sense that every time a new writer comes on board that we have to have this dramatic or drastic change in direction or characters and stories. I think that's one of the things that inadvertently weakens the loyalty of those characters and series because we're constantly reinventing the wheel. 
So yes, we've been looking into some new character designs, but I mean new characters to the book, not new designs for the existing characters. What I hope we're able to do is build on all the good stories that came beforehand and really be able to enhance the direction of the series by building on everything that was there prior to us taking over the book. So then moving into the questions that Newsrama asked Philip Tan, we're just going to read one of the questions because it's pretty interesting. Phil, how did you end up working on a comic with Dan Didio? Did he come up to you and ask you to do this project? We were talking about what I'd be doing next, back before I started on Batman and Robin arc. My Green Lantern job was just finishing up, and I knew I only had a few issues of Batman and Robin. He told me that there was two possibilities. One was a high-profile Bat book, and the other was The Outsiders. But DiDio said he would write The Outsiders. And for me, I was like, really? I asked Dan if I take The Outsiders book, would it be okay to work on the plot script style? And that's what Dan wanted also. So it just kind of fell together. It was what I wanted and needed at the right time. And we've been prepping ever since, which is nice to get a head start on things like that. Okay, so that's the question. Now, what's really interesting to me is how the two different interviews somehow contradict themselves. The Dio says he wasn't on the book until Philip Tan was on the book, and Philip Tan says that the Dio said he was writing the book before he agreed to it. So that's so weird because Dan yeah. Dio's known for his honesty. Liar! <laughs> Liar! <laughs> you know what? And he, here's the funny thing, and uh, Philip Tan had a great time drawing Green Lantern and all the books. And it, it's well known that he, he loves it. And we even, when we interviewed Dustin Wynn, he had mentioned that there's artists out there doing books that they don't they hate doing because it's not something they like. I thought Tan was perfect to be doing the Green Lantern stuff. I don't know why they didn't keep him on there. And that's what baffles me. Now he's moving to the outsider. It's like, to me, it almost looks like they're trying to fill work where... I mean, they're just, you know, waiting for a contract to run out or something, man. I feel bad for the guy, but I thought he should have stayed with the Green Lantern stuff. I, I think it's interesting how he went from Green Lantern to Batman. I can see Batman Robin because it's, even though it is a book within the Batman universe, it's not really a book that you're going to be set on for a long time. It's something that is just a fill-in project, in my opinion, because... You might have an exclusive contract with DC, but you have to have work. They're only going to pay you if you're having work. You're only going to make more money if you're doing work. So with him, to finish Green Lantern and move on to Batman Robin, okay, that's fine. Um, but what was he going to do after Batman Robin? Because I'm sure he has an exclusive contract for DC, so that's just interesting. And I'm really interested to know what the other high-profile Bat book was if it wasn't, um, I mean, considering he was already on Batman Robin, which is already a pretty high-profile book. So, I mean, who else could he have possibly taken over for? Tony Daniel on Batman? Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, to me, I like Tan's artwork better than, than Tony Daniel's. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why they uh, have this theme for Tony Daniel's, but <laughs> I would have preferred uh, Tan to stay on the book like to go back um i was listening to another batman podcast recently and they were talking about the outsiders book and one of the hosts who had an incredibly sexy voice i might add said not to change anything about outsiders that you know loved the team 
<laughs> love, love the arts, love the writing. Don't change a thing. I believe those were the exact words. It's amazing. Oh, it it's like amazing. Trying, why? Why do you call yourself sexy? That's just, sexy. I don't know. That's that's weird. <laughs> Are you like in a mirror right now? <laughs> I record, his Earth Two counterpart. I, I record every <laughs> podcast in front of a mirror, of course. You, gotta, you know. You know, here's the thing, too. The outsiders are very – the reason why so much attention is being paid to the outsiders is because they hold a sentimental part in Batman's history. When they first came out in the 80s, fans were looking at this book like, wow, this is a pretty cool book. This, this is a Batman book that kind of fans wanted to get into because it was like kind of reminding them of Batman and the Super Friends. But in the Batman world, it introduced new characters. So hearing Dan DiDio say that in the interview where, you know, he said that he had the, you know, he had his collection of outsiders. Fans might not know why the outsiders are kind of uh, uh, being talked about or even being discussed. I know some fans want to see the book canceled. But the thing is that there's a certain part of history here that the outsiders belong in. And... how Josh had said, you know, I wish they wouldn't have changed the artist or the writer. I wish they hadn't either because, I mean, it was awesome. But, I mean, Dan DiDio, what was the last thing he wrote? You know what I mean? So I remember him doing Superboy before uh, it was canceled. And I remember Superboy <laughs> before it was canceled. Wasn't See, that's, very not, good. that's not a good record. That's not, yeah. that's not a good record to have, you know? I was looking in another window for other stuff that Dan Didio's written because I, I I forget aside from Superboy I forget what else he's worked on. Well, I know he he did, he just did the Metal Men in Wednesday Comics and a lot of good things came out of that. But I mean it's almost as if good things came out of that and he's justifying working on a book. Leave his he's got a hard enough time keeping track of things going on in the DC universe as it is. Um, I don't think he necessarily needs to be writing. I mean, he's constantly retracting things that he said less than two weeks before. So, uh, this this book I said it in the last podcast was doing so good. The the art was solid. The stories were solid. You know, it's come on. So, I do like I do like one thing that he said that they're not out to reinvent the wheel. Of course, he might be lying, which he's prone to do. But how it's not going to be new characters, new supporting cast, new mission because. That is one annoying thing about when a new writer takes over a series. It's always the startling new direction, this, the this, the that, and then it's discounted when there's a new writer brought on. That annoys me about comics. And Outsiders has had like nine new directions in a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, it, it's a book you want to like, and we, we try to really, really like it when it's going good with Peter. But then to do this is just like, oh, crap. <laughs> Can't they have put Didio on Batman? No adjective, Batman. Yeah. So, what do we know for sure about this? Well, we know that Phil Tan and Dan Didio have obviously known about the fact that they were going to be both on Batman: and The Outsiders for quite some time. Um, they possibly could be on the book for around one year, since they said in different interv- in combining the interviews together, they said in one way or another that they've already have. Uh, come up with six to twelve months of stories planned. So, in, to me, the one question remains: Why is the art that they have on that the only art that they released for the book having to do with Phil Tan and Dan DiDio features Superman on the cover, or Superman who's not Superman? 
but somebody who's related to Super Family. Who knows? But there's the big Superman logo, and there's somebody wearing a costume that has the Superman logo on the chest. If we're not reinventing it, why is Superman making his way into this book? It's um, the issue where Alfred and Superman have a 10-page discussion on the way that they used to sell pants. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be Batman and the Outsiders from Space. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's oversaturated because sure. they already have a Star Wars book that they're publishing in the DCU. Yeah. We'll get to that one later on. Too, yeah, we'll get so. to that one. <laughs> Reviews. As the giant meteor speeds toward a collision course with Metropolis, Superman and Batman are about to find themselves confronting an even deadlier challenge. In a strange parallel universe. I don't know where we are, but we've got to get back to Earth or Metropolis is doomed. We may never get back, Superman. The space warp we just came through has disappeared. Okay, so let's move into book news. We've got a couple books coming out in the next two weeks. The first one is on October 14th, we have The Batman Chronicles, Volume 8. Solicitation reads, DC continues collecting Batman stories in chronological order for the first time. In this new 8th volume, Batman and Robin face some of their greatest foes, including the Penguin, the Joker, and Catwoman, in stories from Batman number 14 through 15, Detective Comics number 71 through 74, and World's Finest Comics number 8 through 9. This will be 192 pages and be $14.99, and I strongly suggest you pick these up because it's well worth the price. Ah, uh, yes, must pick up. That is the only book coming out, so let's get into our comic book reviews, and we're going to start out with Batman the Widening Gear number two. All right, Batman Widening Gear. Now, of course, it continues the book of, uh, of uh, Kevin Smith and Walter Flanagan. Uh, where we last left off, Batman was we we were introduced to a character that gave Batman a little bit uh, a little bit of help at the end, and we weren't known his identity or her identity at the end. But it picks up at a theme park where Batman uh, is talking about uh, a situation where families take a vacation in the in the amusement parks and enjoy them. And we also see a bin with missing kids. So it's alluding that something's going on because now we see Batman on a roller coaster and we see a guy holding a child. And so um, as it picks up, we find out that this guy is like a child molester. And he's holding over the the little girl over the side and of course he's trying to use this as leverage like throwing the girl over the edge while batman comes at her and of course batman is discussing that what this guy would do and of course he does exactly what batman thinks and of course batman is like man i hate you know i hate being so predictable so he goes off saves her but then he realizes he goes back to commissioner gordon of course hey you know what <laughs> i let the guy go but i saved the girl and commissioner Gordon goes well it's okay your partner want to uh, beating him up and putting him right here in handcuffs. And he's like, partner? And he looks over, and of course, it's the last, I guess, vigilante, I guess we could say, that's helping up, helping out Batman, and of course, it looks like it has a goat mask. Uh, they then, of course, you know, what's funny, too, is that with with in this um, issue, you see their grappling gun. It looked like they have a grappling gun or grappling hook, kind of like Batman in here. So that could be a clue. Uh, but we see Batman, and he's just like, wow, that's weird, you know? And then, of course, he goes off into a, uh, 
an old memory, of course, where him and uh, Robin, I guess you could kind of say kind of like a golden age type uh, look to Batman and Robin uh, taking on a um, a the the uh, the Gulliver of Gotham, as Robin describes it. And, and of course, they're coming out trying to save the people that are down on the bridge. But lo and behold, Superman arrives. And of course, Superman comes on the scene as glory as he is and uh, comes in and saves the day. Of course, Robin looks at him and, you know, it's just, oh, wow, Superman. So he comes in and then, of course, you know, Superman gives Robin praise for, you know, trying to go against a robot. But I don't know how this pertains to the story in a little bit, but <laughs> but uh, Batman then goes back and he says, wow, you know, can't really trust anybody. And I guess it was showing the relationship that he had with Robin about the trust. And so Batman, of course, you know, it's already, you know, breaking dawn. And so he goes back to uh, the manor. He goes back to Wayne Manor, of course. You know, he's going back. He gets his normal stuff that Alfred gives him in the morning when he gets there. And, of course, Alfred just brings a surprise, like, um... Mr. Wayne, there's someone waiting for you, and it's a girl. And he's like, what? <laughs> and so he goes over there, and he's like, wow, who's this? And then he says, Silver St. Cloud. Now, Silver St. Cloud is not an old character. It's a girl that he says that got away twice. And for, the, for you old comic book readers, she first appeared in Detective uh, 470 in 1977. But in this issue, it describes her as the girl that got away twice. And, of course, Bruce, Bruce and her, you know, rekindle that fire, I guess you could kind of say. And they go off talking, describing what went on. And, of course, if you would have read the, the issues from, the, from 1977, you would have found out that why they kind of broke up was because of Batman and, a, of course, a tussle with the Joker. And so that goes on, and she wants to rekindle the, the flame that they had. And then we pan off, and we see Cornelius Stark. And he's right there, and of course he's showing to eat a heart, and Batman comes in, and then Batman just punches his lights out, and he grabs an axe, and of course he comes back and attacks Batman, but he has uh, like telepathic power, so he kind of shows Batman what he wants to see, and of course Batman sees Silver St. Cloud, and then uh, he goes off, and he you know kind of kicks his butt, and then as he sees a guy lying down in a chair hurt, he then sees the like the goat man mask, I guess you could kind of say, and he comes out. And then slaps him with the axe, and Batman gets hit, falls down. And what it was was, of course, Stark showing Batman what he thought he wanted to see. And so now Batman's lying on the floor, all beat up, just like kind of how we left the last issue where Batman was <laughs> kind of beat up again. So now we have to find out in issue three, hopefully, Batman makes it out alive. <laughs> but that's the winding gear, issue two. Is this the end of their career as crime fighters? Can they avert disaster? Answers tomorrow. Same back time, same back channel. And now, Detective Comics, issue 857. We last left things. Our Alice in Wonderland-themed villain, Alice, had kidnapped Kate Kane's uh, general father. And Alice is calling Kate on the phone, basically saying, yeah, we have your father, but she's still speaking in her Alice in Wonderland talk. And uh, her father, who's being held captive in the background, the her Alice's henchmen are ready to kill him, but Alice wants him kept alive. He's trying to yell out some clues to Kate. He says, go red, MOP for CW. Before the phone conversation's cut off, Kate is able to at least decipher that enough to know that that's a code for basically you need to get its military protocol for gas masks and hazmat suits. Realizing she puts it together that Alice is planning on doing some sort of chemical release in Gotham, which wouldn't be too good. 
Kate rushes off, and uh, her cousin Betty, who she reunited with last issue, was wondering if everything's cool. Kate says no. The Silver Age fan in me was kind of hoping that Betty and Kate would go off together and kick somebody, even though that would have been extremely corny and not the direction that the book is going. But that's not exactly what happens. She puts on her Batwoman gear and uh, goes to the army base because she knows that they're going to need a plane to do that many chemicals over Gotham. Alice is already at the base, and she actually has an insider there who uh, shoots one of the guards in the back of the head so Alice and her goons can get in there. She winds up killing um, some of her other uh, henchmen before the plane takes off and releases some of the gas. looks like it releases some of the gas within the hangar, although that's never touched upon again in the book. Alice and her goons take off in the plane, and Batwoman uh, sees a plane has already been uh, set up for her by one of her creepy-crawly uh, creatures from the Thriller music video that she met earlier in the arc. So they go above Alice's plane. Batwoman jumps out of the plane in a very, very cool page of her falling and lands on Alice's plane, gets in there, and has a fight with um, some of Alice's goons, takes them out pretty easily. Now, before all this was going on, while Alice was in the plane about to release the gas, she's kind of, you know, doing her little Alice in Wonderland riddle talking with Kate's dad, and he looks at her and he says, My God, Beth? So he appears to recognize her. So Alice and Kate are in the hangar now together. They're fighting, and through the scuffle, um, the, uh, her father's released, and he's able to take and control the plane so he can land it. Alice is about to fall off of the plane. Kate is going to save her because she promised her dad that the Batman rule's in effect, that they're not allowed to kill anyone. She says, I always go by the Batman rule, which is weird because when she first met Alice, the very first thing that she did at the beginning of the arc was proceed to try and shoot her. So there you go there. So she's hanging on the Alice so that she doesn't fall over the city. Alice looks at her, and uh, they change the way that the speech bubble is, because every other time she's talking in her Alice in Wonderland speak, it's a black speech bubble. Now it's the normal white speech bubbles with the black font. And she says, you have your father's eyes. Stabs Kate in the hand so Kate has no choice but to let go of her and let her fall. And that's the end of the first arc called Elegy. Now we're going to continue with the questions arc, though. She's looking for these missing women who are being put through this trafficking circle as slaves. And she has a conversation with, with one of her informants, which I kind of disagree with. And they say, oh, well, slavery is uh, still around. It just only applies to women and as prostitutes now, which uh, slavery is more than just women and prostitutes these days. There's still slavery in other countries that don't involve women and prostitution. But that was their little soapbox for the issue. Yeah. Renee finds out uh, where they go to get some information. And she breaks into a looks like a mansion in Hollywood Hills going through the files where – some of the people in the mansion find her, and they think that they're going to make quick work of her. And she says, yeah, no, I was just thinking that if I'm not very bright, neither are you. Because she proceeds to kick their butts, but the other guys who have guns are pointing at her while she's holding one of their men. And he thinks that he's safe. He's like, okay, you know, drop the gun. She's got me. But they shoot the guy anyway to try and get to Montoya. So, honor among thieves, I guess. She proceeds to get away with the file in hand that has the information that she needs, but they're still shooting after her, and there's some more men at the gate with the guns. She's kind of surrounded on all angles, and that's where they uh, cut off this story with the line, she doesn't get out of here alive, so to be continued. Well, do we have, uh, remember, there are many species in which the female is deadly than the male. All right, so that's going to move us into Gotham City Sirens number four. Now, this picks up from the last issue, which... 
did not follow anything that was going on in the previous issue before that, issue number two. Um, didn't even have Paul Dini on the book, even though it was listed as Paul Dini. So, Paul Dini is back on this book, and we start off with uh, what appears to be a TV show um, that tracks what's going on with different villains and heroes, kind of like uh, what we know as TMZ for celebrities. That's what it seems to be for heroes and villains. So, they say that they caught... Uh, Harley Quinn out on the town with Bruce Wayne, and the host says, well, Joker's going to be pissed. And we find out Joker is pissed, and he's figuring out a way to get rid of Harley Quinn. So we see the return of Joker saying that he needs to kill Harley Quinn, tells his uh, henchmen to get on it to go kill Harley Quinn, because uh, he can't believe that she's with Bruce Wayne, of all people. If only he knew the half of it. Anyway, um, then we see Poison Ivy trying to control the plants around the city, trying to find out where exactly Harley Quinn is with Bruce Wayne. And what's really interesting is that she's wearing the same clothes, he's wearing the same clothes as we saw in issue number two, despite the fact that issue number three happened. So that whole story that happened in issue number three must have happened on the same exact night, despite the fact that Catwoman and Poison Ivy showed up, so wonderful continuity error there. Um, anyway, the whole thing is uh, Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Hush, takes Harley Quinn up to a restaurant, a perfect place that he's planning on bumping her over the head and making her fall off the edge of the building, and you see some dialogue back and forth about her saying how she could easily marry Bruce Wayne, she'd be rich, she'd be a billionaire heiress, um, and the entire time Tommy Elliot's thinking about nothing but trying to figure out a way to kill her. Then we see a giant Joker balloon approach as Bruce Wayne and Harley Quinn are hugging, um, and their job is to basically kill Harley Quinn. So they start shooting Jokers, saying some interesting monologue, um, that you would normally hear on a classic issue, or a classic episode, I should say, of Batman the Animated Series. Um, then we see Poison Ivy actually take over the balloon with plants, and then Selena Kyle actually takes down Bruce Wayne and says, Bruce, I can't believe you would be doing something like this, knowing full well that it's Tommy Elliot, and he knows full well that it's Selena Kyle. Um, Joker ends up telling his henchmen that he has, they have a total of 10 seconds to kill Quinn, or he's going to blow up the balloon, they escape, um, Ivy grabs the vines, and what ends up happening is, as Harley Quinn grabs Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Hush, the cops show up, and Harley's, or and Catwoman says, we have to go, um, the cops aren't going to believe us, that we're trying to take out Bruce Wayne, the city's hero currently, um, tells Ivy and Harley, let's go. So they about, they're about to make their escape when Elliot picks up a gun and is about to shoot them and realizes that it's not going to work, so he shoots down the balloon. The balloon ends, ends up capturing the two henchmen, and the cops make him out to be a hero for that. And Joker's sitting back at his hideout saying that Bruce Wayne has, you know, he, he has met his match He's definitely going to be, he says, Bruce Wayne, didn't think you had the stones to mess with Mr. J. We'll take this up some other time. 
But it's, but right now I still have some unfinished business with the kid, referring to Harley Quinn. Now here's when it gets to some interesting dialogue. He specifically says, atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed as he's sitting in a vehicle. Uh, then we cut back to the hideout of Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Selena Kyle, who are talking about how Tommy Elliott is actually Bruce Wayne, vice versa, they're trying to figure it out, which isn't making any sense. And as they're going on and on, Harley Quinn says, well, I'm glad Mr. J, you know, wants me back, blah, 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 I want to get back with him, and says, and they're telling him, but he tried to kill you. She says, it doesn't matter, he, he proved his love for me by the fact that he was jealous over the fact that I was with Bruce Wayne. Meanwhile, we see a Joker-mobile burst into the side of the building, and actually ends up blowing up, and that is the end of the issue. So we'll have to see what happens in the next issue. Harley? Hi, Puddin'. Miss me? Oh, you clever little minx. How did you escape from Arkham? Batman sprung me so's I could find you. Had me all locked up in his bad old car, too. Oh. Okay, and that's going to take us to Superman and Batman in space. Dun, 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 yeah, uh, Superman and Batman 64 uh, takes place several millennia ago, and it shows a captain on a bridge and several references to uh, Kryptonian technology, it looks like. And uh, we then find out that in the next panel, it looks like a big Star Wars battle with a whole bunch of Empire starships coming in between. And uh, it looks like the Kryptonians are trying to get back one of their, one of their ships. And uh, within this issue, we see then uh, the invaders come in and you see several Kryptonians die. And it shows like them in their last battle. And of course, it's like they're battling down to the end. And of course, each one of them is holding their side. Of course, the ones that are that took over the Kryptonian ship, you can't really see them. And they're kind of really hidden with hoods uh, or, or masks or spacesuits, you could, you could say. And then it looks like something just like just blows up several. It just blows up and it looks like something just took off. And then it just goes into the next page where we say some time ago, we see it looks like a bat missile ship. Which someone at Wayne Tech would have noticed, like, hey, we're building a Batman spaceship here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a Batman spaceship in outer space. And so Batman's out there and he comes across this ship that looks blown up from uh, several millennia ago. And uh, it shows Batman, and he's t- sending a message to Alfred, of all people, while he's out in space. And he says, end the transmission, because you're going to get this a little bit later. Batman then enters the ship, looks around, and then he's like, he doesn't recognize this technology. And he goes, it looks, looks deserted, but then it shows, he goes, security, and he, he's quickly alarmed to some giant robots that come in. Batman, of course, is eluding, and then, of course, next panel we see is Superman. Of course, Superman saying that he's sorry that he's so late. So, Batman and Superman continue to look out the ship. Of course, um, Superman then realizes that these robots um, respond to his Kryptonian voice, his Kryptonian language. So as he goes through, he's like, well, you know, they go looking around the ship. And as they look through the ship, they, of course, they see some, some death. And it looks like Batman's going to touch 
uh, one of the one of the dead bodies, and he's telling Clark, you know, this this is not a Kryptonian. This looks something different. So Superman then looks around with his X-rays, goes through in the back of like these big doors. He pulls open the doors, and then he finds a whole lot of Kryptonians dead, and they're back in this this room. And of course, you see a sad moment in Superman's face where he's like, no. Well, then you realize, you know, Superman, well, in this in this story or continuity of Superman, Batman, it's he's never seen a Kryptonian. So he comes in and, of course, he's like real sad and he's like, I never I never seen one like up front because he's always only been the only one. And Batman's like, come on, you know, Superman head in the game. And so he's trying to decipher and uh, what they find is a date stamp. And so as they talk through it, they start looking around. They say, uh, you know, through the ship's log that a pod actually escaped while the ship was already damaged. So there's something else out there. And so uh, Superman and Batman, it, it continues with them just like at the end looking outside. And they're like just discussing where this pod escaped to. And in big bold letters, it says prelude to the big noise three months away. So <laughs> you got to wait three months just to find out what happened in this issue. So that's the end of Superman Batman issue number 64. Did you find what you were looking for? I thought, hoped, it might still be there. You're home. That place was a graveyard. I'm all that's left. Clark, the universe is a big place. You don't know who's out there. And even if you are the last, you're not alone. Yeah, um, so let's get into a review wrap-up for this episode, starting with Widening Gear, number two. Uh, Widening Gear, number two. Uh, I love Kevin Smith's writing in a cacophony. Uh... You know, it was kind of hit or miss. I I like Kevin Smith. I don't think he wrote Batman particularly well during that run. But in Winding Gear, he seems to have become more comfortable writing Batman, where he's starting to talk through Batman through where how Batman talks through his head and he works out situations. I like that part. Uh, Walter Flanagan, oh, man, I, I hate to say an artist is bad. It's just that... Uh, Walter, he he's not consistent, and we've we've always mentioned it. The guy's not going to change, but that's Kevin Smith's boy, and that's something I guess we can all understand if we have friends. Uh, but I like Kevin Smith's writing through here; it's very good. I think it's a lot better than uh, Cacophony. So uh, for this one, I'm going to say it's good. It's it's not the best, but I'm going to go ahead and give it uh, three batterings out of five. So okay. the other thing with uh, Winding Gear. Also, Z Factor on the website also gave Widening Gear number two three out of five bad ratings. Oh, cool. All right, and Detective Comics, uh, the end of Batwoman's first arc. I got to say, I'm still loving the art, loving the mystery going on with this Alice villain. And like I said, that page where uh, you have Kate jumping from plane to plane, that was still pretty cool. So. You know, the writing's intriguing me still with, you know, the whole mystery behind who Alice is. Otherwise, I'd say the whole plot of somebody flying a plane over Gotham, dumping a bunch of poisons over there. 
that's been done. Oh wait, no, uh, very very recently too with Two Face. But wait, that was New York City, so you don't have to worry about that. But uh, I, again, there's only so many variations of a villain's plan, so I'll kind of forgive it. I still enjoyed the story. The backup with the question, not really liking the art as much. And to be honest, um, I usually skip the backups, but I read it because I knew I was reviewing it for the podcast. So not so much. But I'm going to say four out of five batterings for the whole book. It's still a pretty solid feature. So for Detective Comics 857, Tigger Brown gave it five out of five batterings. Oh, cool. All right, so moving along, Gotham City Sirens, we saw Paul Dini return to uh, the book since he wasn't on the book last month, and that caused a lot of issues as far as uh, responses to that book. But uh, it was kind of a classic Paul Dini story. I can't say it was nearly as good as Streets of Gotham or because of the art was a downfall just because I don't know what's with Gilliam March, March's art, but that art is just, I don't know, it just doesn't, I don't, I don't have any good feelings about that art at all. Um, it seems a little too sketch type stuff than it is than, than it should be. Um, and Joker having a super bony face, unless you are drawing in the 70s and you're drawing Joker like everybody else, that face does not work now. It just doesn't. Um, but the story overall was just a general Batman story. A lot of people are upset because Joker just reappeared in the comics without having really a follow-up from R.I.P., but, hey, you know, that's how it is. Um, I'm sure this isn't how the Joker will make his triumphant return to Gotham, as this book has kind of been not really following a lot of the events that have been occurring. But, um... Overall, not that bad of a book. The art, not so great, but I will give it three out of five batterings. Cool. I did like that uh, part in the book where Harley's like, wait a second, don't you have kids? And he's like, well, you know, Tim's, you know, doing his own thing now, and Dick's all grown up. And he's like, yeah, I don't even know how to explain to her about Damien. I forget who knows what now. <laughs> it would have been funny if he would have explained, like, Cassandra and Jason Todd, too, because he's adopted both of them, but... I don't think Tommy Elliott even knows about Cassandra. Okay. Well, that's going to take us into uh, Superman, Batman 64 in space. Uh, This was written by Joe Casey and Scott Collins. And, oh, man, I want to be nice. But, I mean, as some readers will tell you, they didn't even go past the third page. This is just crap. How can they sell you two ninety nine for the price of this book? And I mean, I mean, you gotta feel enthusiastic about a story that you're gonna tell. I mean, you're telling them Superman and Batman, iconic characters. I mean, how can you not step up to the bat and deliver? And oh my god, I I just feel that this was a real miss. Uh, I hope you guys don't go out and spend your money on this one. But uh, I hate to say this, but I don't. I mean, can we even give batterings for books that are not even that good? <laughs> give zero. Give zero. <laughs> for the very first time here on the Comic Cast, we're giving Superman and Batman 64 zero batterings out of five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to say, I picked that up. And first of all, like, they didn't even try and hide the fact that the battle was a Star Wars ripoff. The ships were exactly alike. But- They're all exactly. You can tell yes. the artist looked at Star Wars. He's probably holding the ship in his hand and says, I'm going to draw Star Wars. 
I, I looked at that book and I read like the first four pages. And even without the Star Wars thing, I was like, I just can't get into this. And I said, it's crap. Yeah, and the and the Batman ship that's like elongated bat the the Batman braving the bold Batmobile, but it's it's in a ship form. I mean, oh my God, you don't think anybody at Wayne Tech is gonna know that? Hello, we're building a Batman ship. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I, 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 what do these writers and artists think? Yeah, this will be good. Let's put it out. No, stop, stop the presses. Oh my god! And then to tell you, story will continue in three months. Just wait. No, I don't want to wait. I don't want to oh, go back. So now we all know not to pick up the book three months from now. <laughs> oh, how, fortunately we are because we are dedicated Thanks. to cover everything and everything Batman. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the unfortunate part of this this job. But, uh... <laughs> all right that's gonna wrap up the review wrap-up so let's get into our discussion now this we're just gonna do a brief discussion because um we have covered the outsiders yeah we have we did cover a little bit more about the outsiders than we originally intended to but we're gonna make our predictions for when bruce wayne will be returning to the bat books now i'm gonna start off by saying if you haven't been reading blackest night you should Despite it not being a Batman book, even if you just go to the comic shop and read it, it is a good story. But there's a lot of things that are being tied into Bruce Wayne, and I think Blackest Night is going to have play a big part in what and how Bruce Wayne comes back into the Bat books. Specifically because we will eventually find out why the Black Lantern, the main Black Lantern guy, is so obsessed with carrying around Bruce Wayne's skull or his supposed skull, or his fake body skull, or whatever. But I think that's going to take us to a point where we're going to figure out why Bruce Wayne, why whoever that fried body was who ended up being buried there is Bruce Wayne, is not Bruce Wayne, whoever it is, and why it's so important to this Black Lantern. Um, Specifically, we know Blackest Night is going to be going into next year, into 2010, based on numerous things, based on solicitations for books that are coming out in December that are part of a miniseries and stuff like that. Also announcements that we've heard about different characters also getting a miniseries for Blackest Night. But I'm going to make a prediction. Batman 700 comes out July of 2010 as long as it doesn't get delayed. And if that's the case, then we're looking at possibly Bruce Wayne returning in issue number 700 which is going to be my prediction right now right and i asked dustin i said when's how many issues are we away from 700 and and he's like uh eight well yeah that's when bruce is coming back because i mean how can he not that's like a big anniversary type milestone deal so uh i'll you know we're already coming up to issue three of uh the the blackest night the batman one so um, we know Batman's not going to come back in that, and that's been a freaking awesome story in itself. But uh, the fact that we're, we're what, maybe um, we've already been already, what, it's been a year already without, Bat- without Bruce Wayne? So, yeah, I mean, let's just wait. Let's just wait for 700. Let's bring him back then and... Uh, let's not bring them out like in Gotham City Sirens like they did for the Joker. Let's not do that deal. <laughs> I mean, make a big event out of it. I mean, gosh, he was the Joker. 
but uh yeah i hope they don't do something like that but uh you know 700 i'll stick with 700 yeah initially when dustin made his prediction before we recorded i said they wouldn't bring back bruce at the end of a dcu wide crossover and not make it a batman event then i thought oh yeah there was that little series about a year ago called final crisis where they tied up Batman's fate. So you know what? I wouldn't put it past DC. Even though there were some fans that were vocal about it, I, I guess DC would still do it. So I'll say I would like Tim Drake to have something to do with it because the way that they've been building it up in Red Robin as Tim's the only one that thinks he's alive, I hope that there's some validation on Tim's part. Like he's going to be one of the key people in getting Bruce back to our time or whatever the heck they're going to do. Like his skull is... In our and is in our times, but his actual body's in the Stone Age. I'm not quite sure how this all works, and I'm sure that there's a Grant Morrison explanation in front of us. So I guess I'm going to stick with the trend. The end of Blackest Night somehow coinciding with Batman 700. Right. So I, I mean, the big thing is Batman Robin was intended to be numbered or only 12 issues that would have ended in June of 2010, leaving July wide open for. Bruce Wayne return. They've said Batman Robin's not going to end, so it could just carry on with Damien, father and son, working together. And I could see that happening. Um, but I think Jeff Johns has specifically said that he's talked to Grant Morrison about the plan of the return of Bruce Wayne. And honestly, if it wasn't going to be tied into Blackest Night, why would Jeff Johns even be talking to Morrison about Batman at all? Because he can have his thing happen in Blackest Night and doesn't have to ha- coincide with what's going on in the Bat Books because that's the trend recently. Things going on in the universe, such as Blackest Night Batman, don't really follow what's going on in the books, uh, the normal Bat Books. So it's interesting. I mean, we'll obviously have to wait and see, and we might do another prediction as we get a little bit closer to decide. We'll know more clues, we'll know more, maybe some more answers, and maybe some more questions will rise up. And from that, we'll actually decide how and more specifically when and what book he'll be returning in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, I know it's kind of still too early to say, and that's kind of sad to say because it's already been over a year that when's Batman going to return. But, uh, yeah, I mean, why would Jeff Johns be talking about uh, to Grant Morrison about when, when Batman will be coming back? Nonetheless, Jeff is going to leave us clues within the Blackest Night series upon Bruce's return. So or that's unless, the only thing I can see. Unless Jeff's going to do another Rebirth series like he's done and it will be Batman Rebirth, uh, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that many series past him. As much as I'd like to see Jeff Johns do uh, – a Batman story. I don't think Batman Rebirth is something that we need right now. Next yeah, podcast. yeah, no, we don't. Batman Rebirth announced. Yeah. Jeff Johns and on art someone true. Ethan Van Skyver. Yeah, but we're we're pretty good about depicting I mean, look how we were spot on for the Stephanie thing. So, as we get closer to it, I'm pretty sure we'll decipher what DC's doing and I mean, of course, we'll let all the fans know. We were wrong about Stephanie. There's still people telling us that this is just um, this is just a temporary uh, setback, and that they're going to trick us and kill her off in the sixth issue. Anyway, so we're yeah. going to move on, and uh, let's throw over Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello, and 
welcome to another edition of MacBooks for Beginners. My name is Nick and today I'm looking at Catwoman Defiant, a trade paperback that was published in 1992 during Catwoman's boom in popularity, or the Catwoman craze if you will, that uh, occurred in the same year due to the release of Batman Returns and Michelle Pfeiffer's portrayal of the character in that film. Everyone went a bit crazy about Catwoman, and as a result, they decided to create a new story. And this story is written by Peter Milligan, and the art is provided by Tom Grindberg. Now, how does this interpretation of Catwoman fare? Let's find out. Catwoman, you heard of her? Oh, yeah. Hot. Black leather. Whip. Now the plot involves Catwoman being pursued by a man named Mr. Handsome and his goons, the Model Army. On a particularly difficult night, Catwoman is almost caught after a robbery. She gets the help of Batman, who she tells that this is the third attempt to kidnap her by the Model Army. He proposes a one-time truce, and a deal that will make it possible to finally catch Mr. Handsome and his men. Catwoman has got to be bait in a very dangerous trap. Whilst waiting to be kidnapped with Batman lurking to follow her to Handsome's lair, Batman is distracted via a diversion created by the model gang. Batman returns to find Catwoman but is shocked to discover it's a dummy and a bomb at that. He just avoids the explosion but now has no clue where Catwoman is but does have an idea of what Handsome plans to do with her. Catwoman is chained in a basement and discovers a dead body before hearing a roar. Over an intercom, Mr. Handsome tells her that a beast is coming to get her. Batman, meanwhile, is interrogating one of Handsome's men to discover the location of his lair. Catwoman is attacked by the grotesque monster, but is rescued by a mysterious hermit in the underground caverns, called Mary. Mary claims to be Mr. Handsome's old wife, who was thrown into the pits once she grew old and ugly, and wants revenge against Handsome. Batman finally breaks Handsome's henchmen and gets the location. Together, Mary and Catwoman attempt to escape the underground caverns, but Mary falls to her death in the process, who begs Catwoman to kill Handsome just before she died. Catwoman confronts Handsome and takes off the mask he is wearing. Mr. Handsome is Mary. The body Catwoman found earlier is in fact the husband. Mary tried to fool Catwoman into murdering herself because she wanted to be killed by something beautiful. It is also revealed that the monster is a pet picked up in South America. Handsome liked the idea of beauty being devoured by the beast. Batman arrives and attacks the gang, causing an explosion which collapses the building Catwoman and Handsome are in. The Beast arrives and attacks Handsome, with Catwoman escaping. Batman greets Catwoman, and Batman learns the terrible truth about Mr. Handsome. Oh, Batman, this is wonderful! You and me, and our own private paradise. Sounds swinging. <laughs> yeah, Gotham City will swing at our mercy. Now, in review, it was an interesting book with a lot of positive and negatives. First negative I can think of is once we um, found out the truth about Mr. Handsome's identity, Mr. Handsome all of a sudden decided to tell us 
everything about the plot and how we got over the plot holes in the story. Such as, do you want to know how I managed to swap around between being Mary and me? And he just reveals it all without any force or anything, just decides to reveal it. It's very strange and it's very odd that he would do that. It's very weak writing in general for the villain to suddenly decide, oh, I'll tell you all the secrets just so you, as a reader, can understand how I managed to do this. Bit odd. I thought there was a bit of a strange ending to the book. Um, a woman had just been mutilated by a monster, and Batman walked in the room, and for some reason Catwoman found that funny. I'm not entirely sure why, but I thought it was a bit odd and a bit out of character. I, however, did think it was quite a good twist in the writing and didn't see Mr. Hanson being Mary although I was a little bit unsure of Mary, just because she looked like a man to start with, and um, she looked really odd. And I was a bit... I was I kept my eye on her just in case, because I thought it was very convenient that she was there. So I knew something was going to happen there, but didn't see Mr. Hanson being Mary. I couldn't actually tell that the model gang were wearing masks, or that Mr. Hanson was wearing a mask at first. I thought this was a fault with the art, Obviously not the writing, but I thought it was very strange. I just they looked completely normal until someone suddenly declared that they were wearing masks, and then I thought, oh right, okay. I didn't really spot it, which is uh, as I said, problem with the art. I thought Mr. Handsome as a villain was quite an interesting concept, and uh, the idea about destroying beauty, but I didn't think it was quite pulled off. I think it needed an extra an extra layer of depth to it, just because I think it was a bit simplistic. But it had a really good, um, clearly a good idea to start with, but um, maybe just didn't have enough time to flesh it out. Leading on from that, I thought the story in general was a bit too short. I think it should have been longer with a few extra subplots. Maybe a bit more with Batman um, uncovering the location, or a bit more about Mr. Handsome's background. But maybe they just didn't have the time, because everything moves very fast, and there's no time to dwell on anything, and all of a sudden it's the end of the book. I didn't think it worked perfectly. Could have been longer, and would have worked better longer. I thought the Batman and Catwoman interplay was okay. I thought the monster in the basement was a bit cliche, and it's been done before, and it was just all of a sudden, it would be quite a good idea to give him a monster in the basement, and we get explained, oh, he's from South America. Right, okay, well, that, that solves everything then. You manage to find a monster in South America, transport him home, and keep him in some caves. Okay. As I was saying, I didn't think Mary really added up as a character. She'd been living in that cavern or mine for years, no food, on her own, and she'd just been waiting for someone to share her escape with because there's no other way out. Very odd. So really, I just felt the book was all a bit rushed as a story. Simple, but generally okay. Nothing special. Not much time to get to know Catwoman well. They don't really do anything with her. She just is the hero that runs around, doesn't do much. We certainly don't get to know a lot about her. The art was interesting. I think it's pretty good. Lots of texture and it creates an interesting mood throughout the book, but as I said, not always clear to the story, like with the masks. So overall, I'm going to give it 3 out of 5 Batarangs. Average. Handsome, dazed, and to die for... Next time I'll be looking at World's Finest, which was published in 1990 and is a three-issue limited series involving both Batman and Superman. 
This is the first time Superman has showed up in the Bat Books for Beginners, so should be interesting to see how the two heroes get on. You can always contact me at nick, N-I-C-K, at thebatmanuniverse.net with any comments, questions, or suggestions. So that's Bat Books for Beginners, done for this time. Now it's back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Thanks for coming after me. I owed you. Well, I'd like to think our relationship isn't just restricted to saving each other from freaks and weirdos, and that maybe we'd have a place for each other without Gotham. Without the freaks. Maybe without masks. Maybe. Hmm. Almost got him. So that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next book for the next episode. Also, make sure you're checking out the forums to leave comments about it. Also, be checking out the blog for posts of the old episodes. You can go back and listen to the old episodes, just the episodes themselves, so that way you don't have to listen to the entire podcast to find Bat Books for Beginners. So, let's get into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. October 14th, we have Batgirl number 3. Batman number 691, The Batman Chronicles Volume 8, Detective Comics Annual number 11, Red Robin number 5. On October 21st, we have Azrael number 1, Batman Confidential number 35, Batman Streets of Gotham number 5, Batman the Unseen number 2, The Outsiders number 23, and Superman Batman number 65. Also keep in mind, October 28th is going to be a huge week for comics, so save your money now. Yeah, gotta go cut that grass, guys. Yeah, thank God I'm back to a busy work schedule so I can afford these books. Alright, so moving on to what we're going to cover next time on the podcast. We are going to cover Batman Robin number 5, Batman Annual number 27, Batman Confidential number 34, Batman the Unseen number 1, Batgirl number 3, Batman 691, Detective Comics Annual number 11, and Red Robin number 5. And as a reminder, be sure to pick up the annuals to support Dustin Wen's Little Gotham so we can get that book into a series. Make sure you check out the interview we did with him as he talks about what he intends to do if the book is made into a series. And honestly, it sounds awesome, so let's just get it done. Yeah, pick it up, guys. So that is everything for this episode. You can go onto the website for daily Batman news. You can head on to the forums to interact with other Bat fans. You can check out the editorials for comic reviews and just random editorials from all of us at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can check out our YouTube channel as well as leave us a review on iTunes. So, this is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 29. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.
while I'm looking for that, did I actually say on the last podcast, don't change anything about the creative team on Outsiders? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I guess you're rep- you're reprising your legendary role as the yeah, Dio. Yeah. Okay. Billy Tan. Uh, I mean, Philip Tan. I mean, who's Billy Tan? Does that's an actor, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. And that's the end of uh, the first arc, which they call eulogy. Is, is, is eulogy the right way to pronounce? No, it's not Wait. eulogy. It's elegy. Elegy. I know. I just said something. I right couldn't here. even get past like the third or fourth page. <laughs> it, was just, well, it was just. It was just crap. Sorry. Well, in a cacophony, right? Cacophony, right? Yeah. That's the wrong music. Oh, yeah. We got to do do do. That music got catchy at the end, man. It is. It's good music. Dumb. <laughs> I, I, I still miss uh, Danny Elfman. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. But that 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 hook just sticks with you. You're like, I was like, okay. 